Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. This morning, we are looking at uh, an Old Testament Hebrew scriptures from Psalm 30. Psalm 30. So if you want to go ahead and flip to, uh, to that, that would be tremendous. If you have your uh, pew Bible or um, on your app. Psalm 30, it was uh, written supposedly for the dedication of the temple. Uh, and as you, as you hear it, you'll kind of go, what is the fit there? And the only fit I can see is that it, uh, it's a psalm that reminds the people things were tough, but God brought us back and restored us again. The psalm has three different movements to it. The beginning the center of reflection, and the end of joy. Listen to the word of the Lord, Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you had drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me... I said in my own prosperity, well, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O God, you had established me as a strong mountain. You, then you hid your face from me. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried. And to the Lord, I made supplication. What profit is there in my death, God, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth. You have clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. One of the reasons I appreciate the faith that we share um, is that it embraces the totality and the fullness of all life. Christianity does not sugarcoat things. But goodness gracious, there have been those leaders in the church over the centuries who have tried. Faith, Christian faith, should not be distorted uh, and littered about with prosperity gospel. You know, the old name it and claim it. It's one thing to name it and claim it, but friends, that's not the way Christians live. That's not the way things are. Christianity deals with the honest flow of life. The tide flows in, tide flows out. The clouds bring rain, the sky clears, and there's sun. 
Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. A woman dies, but her granddaughter is born. Life has a rhythm to it. Like the wise teacher from Ecclesiastes who wrote the biblical book, Ecclesiastes, he says, remind us there is a time for everything and a season for every action under heaven. Now I say all this so as not to belabor the obvious, but it is a reminder. Our text today is a reminder. It's a corrective to Christian thinking that believes in the notion that just because we are beloved by Jesus, Jesus will suspend natural forces on our behalf, for our behalf, when times get tough. Preacher, I've lived a good life. I've treated others well. Why is God doing this to me now? Preacher, I I have faith. So why did cancer take my child? Preacher, I'm a good person. Why did God allow me to get fired? I built that place. Preacher, what would you add? What have you added? Because let's be honest, in our lives we all have uttered that prayer. This morning's psalm contains one of the most profoundly beautiful statements in all Scripture. It's a statement that proclaims the sheer consistency of God's presence in our lives during their ups, during their downs. And it's right here in verse 5. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The biblical paraphrase, the message, uh, reads it, He gets angry once in a while, that is God, but across a lifetime there is only love. The nights of crying your eyes out give way to days of laughter. And finally, the Catholic version of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Knox version of the Bible says, Sorrow is but the guest of a night. Joy comes in the morning. I think that translation really nails the point and gets it across. Hard times, sadness, may be our house guest for a night. But in the morning... Eventually, we know they will pack their bags and head down the road. Growing up, being the youngest of four siblings, I was the the one that whenever an in-law came over, I had to give up my room and my bed. I was relegated to the couch. So when uh, Aunt Louise came over or Uncle Jack visited, I had to pack up my stuff and go in the other room. And I loved Aunt Louise and Uncle Jack. They always gave me things. Because I gave up my room for them. And they would you know, bring me treats and you know, lots of money, like 50 cent pieces. <laughs> Back then, that was a big deal. But as much as I loved them, I could not wait for them to leave. I wanted my bed back. I wanted my space back. See, that's what we're getting here in the psalm. Weeping. 
sadness, pain. It comes and visits for an evening in the dark. But the dark eventually turns to light, new day, and laughter will once again resume. This is what the psalmist is telling us, beloved. Weeping, the hard realities of life may overwhelm us for a moment, but with the help from the saints, the psalmist says, the congregation, each other, we are held up. We are encouraged by each other to hang on and keep and know that the weeping and the sadness will pass. It will pass. The sky will clear. The winds will calm down. The sea will become smooth once more. Just like the market. It's going down, but it'll come back up. It gives, it takes. We just have to be patient. Now, the psalmist gives you and me two tools in Psalm 30 to use uh, while we're waiting for our house guest of sadness and weeping to leave. Gives us two things to do before the sadness checks out in the morning. First, we are to surround our circumstances, whatever's happened to us, with thanks and praise. The second tool we are to use is to be brutally honest in our relationship and conversation with God. The very, did you notice the very first and last line of our text today is about praising God with a worshipful heart? Did you notice that? It begins and ends with praise. The psalmist, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, was thanking God. The psalmist looked back over his life. He remembered how God answered those prayers before by lifting him out of the depths of Sheol and helped maintain his honor in the presence of those who wanted to hurt him, who hated him. His praises for God were extended because God pulled him from illness out from the grave, the place of the dead, and made him a strong mountain once more. He called out for God's mercy and presence and thanks God for always being there. It's right here, beloved. It's right here we can learn a lesson from the psalmist. You see, he doesn't sing praises and prayers to God to keep him out of life's messes. Rather, the psalmist is praying and exalting God, encouraging others to sing praise to God, and thanking God despite of all of life's messes and hardships and pain. In despite, in spite, do it anyway. Our life in Jesus has to be lived within two bookends, as our text today has. Bookends, exalting God, thanking Him in worshipful praise even when times stink, when it hurts, when it's dark, when
when that house guest won't leave. The second tool available to us in the Psalms that he points out is that I loved how he, in the middle of the psalm, in the second, second strophe, second portion of the psalm, he is brutally honest with God. He calls God out. Did you notice that? He calls God out. He says, God, listen. You made me strong as a mountain, but listen, I'm, I'm kind of washing away right now. God, I'm no good to you dead. You think, God, if I'm in the grave, the very dust on top of my grave is going to sing you, exalt praises to you? No way. I mean, he, lets, he just lets it out. He just nails God with it. And you know what? God can take it. God understands. God can hear our hard questions. God can hear our impatience when we feel God is not answering the prayers that we are waiting to have our lives answered for or with. My oldest daughter, Lauren, she is a very independent woman. And I knew this from a very early age. She was about Hannah's age, uh, Nick's daughter today. And we were out on the playground. And um, I said, Lauren, come on, it's time to go in. Mama's got dinner. No. I said, yes. She said, no. I said, Lauren, yes. No. Lauren, one, and you get the deep voice, you change that whole tonality thing, and she really perks up. Well, it didn't work. She started kicking and punching the ground. She rolled over on her stomach and just was going crazy. And I said, Lauren, come on. And she kicked harder. She pounded harder. And I finally walked over, and I picked her up. And she was beating me in the chest, kicking me in the gut, just... And I just hugged her tighter until she stopped. That's what God does for us. When we are in a pluperfect mess, when we are in the midst of pain, we can be honest with God, be real with God, get it all out. And what God does do, what God will do is lean over, pick us up, and just hug us until morning when joy comes back. Oh, beloved, there's something about these two tools, thanksgiving and honesty, that give us the ability to say with firm, firm belief, weeping, sadness, Heartache may be a house guest for the night, but the dawning of a new day brings renewed confidence, new joy that the nighttime prevented me from seeing. Weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This is a lesson my life has learned this year as I watch my sweet wife slowly die. 
She had a long, drawn-out time. And I remember several times just holding her hand, stroking her hair, giving her sips of water as she struggled for breath. And in my heart and in my soul, I was weeping. I was torn up. I was being honest with God. This woman who is the epitome of grace. Why is she dying, God? And yet in my darkness, Kelly found her Easter in her death. She found joy in her death. It was her death that brought her joy in the morning. I just stand and wonder that moment that I was in the darkness and she was experiencing the light and joy at the same time. Oh. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. You see, Jesus, the night He died, He and the disciples gathered together and they cried. They wept. The disciples were anxious. They didn't know really what was about to happen. And all they could do is share that anxiousness with Jesus and Jesus as man Suffered from that anxiousness too. Remember in the garden, Jesus Himself said, Father, take this cup from Me. Jesus in His dark night offered the same prayer that you and I offered. Take this cup from Me. But His Father didn't. Like all people, the Son of God experienced pain, fear, and the Son of God died. It all seemed dark, hopeless, scary. But then something happened. Easter. The morning dawned. Heaven's tears were turned into heavenly laughter. All of Jesus' troubles, all of His pain, all of His suffering were no match, were no match for resurrected life in God. And this simple meal, this simple meal, given by Him to the disciples the night He died and was scared Himself, is now a meal of joy of celebration, of a new day, of a new promise, of new life. Beloved, come. Come to the table of Jesus. Let us examine ourselves. Acknowledge the darkness of our souls at night when we're scared 
But remember, as the meal promises, laughter, joy comes in the morning. And all of God's people say, Amen. Lord God, we give you thanks. When things seem hard, you are there anyhow. Lord, our angst goes on in your presence while others are experiencing laughter and new life. Lord, help us see us in that cycle. That the house guest of sadness will leave and joy comes in the morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.